In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good, but it didn't stay good. Adam and Eve traded perfect fellowship with God in exchange for a false promise, and in doing so, they tore down the good garden. Humanity continued to trade good for bad, brother for blood, birthright for a bowl of stew, and yet, as humanity descended, God was still working. In the ashes of a torn down garden, in a broken family, the Lord was planting the seeds of redemption. Well, good morning. So our services are meant to be vertical, uh, where we focus in on God, we celebrate God, we hear from God through his word. Uh, but I wanna do a little bit of a horizontal moment, if I may. Today uh, marks the final Sunday that Ken Martin, who just led worship, is a full-time employee at LEFC. And I would just like to say thank you to him. Can we do that? Nineteen ninety-seven, he started here. Uh, as on, as far as paid time, he was already volunteering prior to that. So it really goes back quite a ways. I mean, back to where I was in college when he first started here. So, uh, uh, so it's a pretty special thing. We're going to actually have a night of celebration and worship on April fourteenth. People that have moved away and were part of the worship teams for years but haven't been at LAFC for years are going to come back and be a part of this night of worship. Uh, and there will be a reception afterwards where we celebrate uh, the years of ministry uh, that Ken has and doing the very thing he loves, which is worshiping God. And uh, he will stay with us. He'll still be one of our worship leaders as time goes on. Um, and he will be serving LEFC and the kingdom of God uh, part-time uh, going forward where he'll be pastor emeritus and serving greater ministries of the Lancaster area on behalf of LEFC. And so that's something that he'll be transitioning to this next week. And so we're just very grateful uh, for him, and I'm looking forward to April 14th. There are people that I'm going to be seeing for the first time in a long time, and so excited to, to see that happen. So with that being said, now let's go back vertical, and let's hand out Bibles. So we're going to be in the book of Genesis. Uh, so if you would open there, we'll be in chapter 37 to start, and, uh, and then you can also turn to the back of your scriptures uh, into uh, what would be the book of Jude. And there's only one chapter there, so you don't have to figure out what chapter. Uh, but we'll be in the, the book of Jude towards the end of the sermon. Uh, so I just want to encourage you to kind of get yourself there uh, to be prepared. So with that being said, I've got to, while you're opening uh, there, let me just ask this question. If you know what place uh, I am talking about when I give this tagline that is used uh, in our culture, it says this, the place where dreams come true. Does anybody know uh, what that's a tagline for? The place where dreams come true. It's Disney World, Disneyland, depending if you're West Coast or East Coast. Uh, but that's the phrase. And it comes from a quote uh, from Walt Disney where he had said early on in his career, all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Now, enough about Disney, right? You know, you're, you didn't come here to hear from him. But let me give you a couple more quotes because I think this summarizes how our culture looks at dreams. John Wooden, a man that I, I respect, was a coach for UCLA, won 10 national championships in, 10, in 12 years. And he once said this, he says, don't give up on your dreams or your dreams will give up on you. So Disney said, you know, our dreams can come true if you have the courage to pursue them. Wooden says, don't give up on your dreams or they'll give up on you. Colin Powell more recently would have said this and uh, when he said, a dream doesn't become a reality through magic. It takes sweet determination and hard work. So in these quotes, what you get the sense is, is that there's something that is kind of innate to us all that when it comes to our future and what we're looking forward to is that there's some kind of vision or dream of what we hope to accomplish with our lives. 
And so with that accomplishment, uh, you, would, you would say, okay, so in order to make that happen, you either have the choice of just sitting back and hoping it happens, or you make it happen. And so that would be kind of the American dream, to accomplish something, to pursue something. But dreams like that are just a portion of what dreams are about. Consider this quote that is from within a greater speech. It says this, I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. It is probably the least quoted portion, yet the pinnacle and the crescendo of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. We don't quote this in society because what does it dream of? It dreams of people, all people, beholding the glory of Jesus when he returns. And the world doesn't want to acknowledge those kind of things because the idea of Jesus' return isn't a dream for many. But for those who are being saved and transformed day to day, this is something we look forward to. But God also speaks of dreams, very specifically, actually, when he says this in the book of Acts, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now, let me just be frank. And we're not gonna classify in this sermon who's old and gets to dream, who's young and gets to see visions, but, and whether or not that it's only those who are young men and women that, that get to prophesy. But the point is, when the prophet Joel said that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, then it was being spoken of again by Peter after the Holy Spirit had come upon them. What we are seeing in our time is that when the Holy Spirit came, he came on all people. And as a result, prophecy happened, visions happened, and dreams happened. So the question I have is, do, today, do dreams play a role in truth? And can they come from God even today? So where we're going to be today, if you're not familiar with the story, but maybe you're like, oh, he's talking about Joseph and his dreams. That's where we're gonna be today, is that Joseph was known as the dreamer. He had two dreams himself, and he interpreted for others. And so we're not only gonna look at that Joseph, but we're also gonna look at Joseph, the one that was married to Mary, and, and was the... the um, household father of Jesus. And Joseph had four dreams and there were things to learn from that as God used them. And so we're gonna go into the text today. My hope is that by the end of this message, you will feel a little bit better equipped and understanding of God's use of prophecies, visions, and dreams and having appropriate cautions as well. So let's go into Joseph's dreams here in chapter 37. It says in verse one, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, at this point, you need to understand that Joseph is the 11th son. We don't know for sure if yet Benjamin is alive and been born yet, which would be the 12th son. Uh, but, but we would say that there's good possibility and there may not be. But what we do know is at this point is that he speaks of something about that which is yet to come when there clearly will be 12 sons total, all right? So in this moment, you've got Joseph has a dream 
or has this opportunity to speak of his, all his older brothers poorly about them to their father. That doesn't go over very well. Verse three, now Israel, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born of him, to him in an old age and had made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he, told to his, when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep arose and stood up while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then Joseph had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this matter in mind. Okay, so what we see here, now if you know anything about this text, you'll know that later these things come to fruition. The dreams become a reality. And it would be easily so that if the, when that reality happened, if there had been no dreams, people would have just thought it was circumstantial. But what the brothers were going to find out eventually is that these dreams are to help them to realize that God was going to be creating a plan that was gonna be happening around them and they needed to know this was God, not the making of a man, all right? That it was coming from God. So what you'll see here is that God uses dreams and we're gonna get into some other dreams, but God uses dreams to reveal and verify his sovereign plan. Okay, so he uses dreams to reveal and verify his sovereign plan. So there are things going on around us, even today, that, that sometimes we just treat as circumstantial and we don't realize there's God at work right here around us. So the dreams help them to realize that later when it comes to fruition. Also, you're gonna see that interpreting dreams can only happen by the help of God. So interpreting dreams, so if, if dreams are from God, then it's not some like man that's just like has a corner on the market. God will reveal his dreams and the meaning of them through selected people. And so interpreting dreams though, can only be happened by the source of God himself not through sorcery, not through some kind of intuition, but through God revealing it to somebody that he chooses to reveal the meaning of it. We see that in Genesis chapter 40 and Genesis chapter 41. In chapter 40, there are two dreams by two prisoners uh, that were fellow prisoners with Joseph because as the story goes, <clears throat> the brothers of Joseph take revenge on Joseph, sell him into slavery, he ends up, being uh, sold as a slave to Potiphar's household. And then Potiphar rises him up to become this incredible uh, leader of a large household. And he entrusted him because everything Joseph did was blessed by God. So he trusted him. But then Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph. And then she hit on Joseph. And Joseph was very clear to say, no, I will honor God and I will honor Potiphar and I will not do such a thing. Well, she accused him falsely, so he was thrown into prison. While in prison, so he's already been sold into slavery by his brothers. Now he's been sent into prison under a false accusation. And while there, he is then engaged with a conversation with two men who serve Pharaoh directly. But Pharaoh was upset with them and threw them into prison. Both of these men, the baker, of, the, of Pharaoh and the cupbearer of Pharaoh had dreams. 
they were troubled by these dreams. And then what you're going to find in, in Genesis chapter 40, uh, verse 8, that when they said to Joseph, as they're talking to people in the prison cell about these dreams, they said, we both had dreams, verse 8. They answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So as a result, they share the dreams. He's able to interpret them, and those dreams come to fruition. Then sometime later, Pharaoh has two dreams, and the dreams troubled him. It's the dreams of where uh, two uh, seven skinny cows consume seven fat cows, and then seven very healthy grains, uh, head, heads of grain, uh, are taken and consumed by grains that are basically hollow and have no seed. Pharaoh was troubled by this. What, what are these seven fat cows, seven lean cows, seven heads of grain that are healthy and seven unhealthy heads of grain? What does it mean? Then the cupbearer, remembering that there was an interpretation to his dream, is then shared with Pharaoh that there's this man in prison, Joseph, that interpreted dreams and, and they happened just as he'd said. So then he comes before Pharaoh in, in chapter 41 and Pharaoh said to Joseph in verse 15, I had a dream and no one could interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph replied saying, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Joseph in verse 25 said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed these dreams to you, Pharaoh, about what he is going to do. So you have here in these interpretations from both the prison interpretations to now the interpretations with Pharaoh, that interpreting dreams can only happen by God's provision. And, and Joseph knew this. But we also learn from these dreams, and particularly the two dreams of Joseph, the two dreams in the prison cell, and the two dreams of Pharaoh, that what we see here is that God uses dreams to reveal what is happening is actually orchestrated by him. It also validates those who are hearing from him so that we can identify the false hearer and the and the true hearer of those who are actually going to God, we also see that it's an opportunity through these dreams to prepare for something that is yet to happen. And you'll see that dreams are used to give directives on what we are to do. Now, let me speak here very quickly. Dreams never reveal a new character trait of God. Okay, so I wanna make that clear. No dream found in scripture or that God has used reveals some new character trait or adjusts our understanding of morality. All right, so we gotta make sure we're, what we're talking about is clear. Dreams are used by God as revealing something that is happening is actually orchestrated by him, shows who's actually listening to God, and it helps us prepare for what is going to happen, and it can give us directives. We get that from the other Joseph, the father of Jesus, uh, married to Mary. Four dreams were given to him. All four of them were directives. The first one was he was going to divorce her quietly because she was having a child that he was not the father of. And what did God do? He provided a dream and says, it's okay for you to marry Mary. That's really difficult. It sounds wrong in my mind, but that's it that he was supposed to marry Mary. And then we know after Jesus was born that God gave him another dream, verse 13 of chapter two of Matthew, where he was told, you need to go to Egypt for the safety of your family. Then in verse 19 of chapter two of Matthew, he is given another dream. It's now time to leave Egypt and go back to Israel. A fourth dream comes in verse 22 of chapter two of Matthew, where he's told, okay, yes, now you're going back to Israel, but don't go back to Judea. Go back to Galilee, in particular, Nazareth. So God gives direction. Okay, so remember what it says in Acts when God says, when, again, the Holy Spirit's come 
in, at Pentecost. And the response of Peter, when he's speaking to people, helping them understand what has just happened, he quotes the prophet Joel and says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So you see the dreams of Old Testament being used for the things we talked about just a moment ago, and you see the dreams being happening as part of the whole aspect of the movement of Jesus's family, and then you hear this statement from Peter saying that post-Pentecost, the church will receive the Spirit of God in abundance, and the result will be prophecy, visions, and dreams. So clearly, it would seem that dreams still have a place within God's work through the church. Well, let me just speak to this personally for a moment. When I was at West, uh, Hershey Evangelical Free Church, newly married, couple years in, our daughter had been born, who's sitting up front, and she had several physical issues uh, that were, we were having to do surgeries for. It was a very trying year. We had uh, five surgeries in one year alone for her. It was a significant season for us. Ministry was going well, but the home life side of it was a challenge. And during that time, we bought a home, which was, uh, we thought was a good idea, but then shortly after we bought it, with like a couple months, the economy tanked, and the value of that home went down pretty quickly. And so we were a little bit nervous. We discovered that there was a flaw in the withholding of our paychecks and discovered that they weren't withholding enough from our, our, for our taxes. And so we got this massive tax bill so financially, things became precarious. Uh, things were not great with our daughter. And on top of that, we're like just trying to hold ourselves above sur uh, the surface of the water. But the church was loving on us and caring for us. One night, I had a dream. And in that dream, it was a strange dream. I'm in the auditorium of a different church, West Shore Evangelical Free Church. Now, I'd been to that church before, but never in their auditorium. And I'm seeing myself there, and I'm being referred to as the youth pastor for the church. That dream was really strange to me because we just bought a house, things were going well at Hershey, there was nothing in my mind that would suggest that this is something that was contrived by some strange dream. Now, trust me, my wife and I will sometimes laugh the next day when we talk about dreams that we had the night before and we will realize that's ridiculous. That's never going to happen. And my wife has the same recurring dream about being attacked by an animal. And, and I can tell by what the screams going on in the bed. I'm like, wake up, it's, it's not happening. And then sometimes I get hit while trying to wake her up. She's not happy back, backstage listening to this right now. But anyway, dreams happen and they're often ridiculous. But this dream stood out to me. When I woke up, I thought, that's really strange. Why did I dream that I'm youth pastor at West Shore? Well, I, I, that morning, that very morning, I am actually scheduled to, to speak at a Bible club at a public school in Mechanicsburg. A student that was going to our church in Hershey had a, was a leader, a student leader, in that Bible club, and it invited me to come and speak. And that student's name is Phil True, who is one of our current elders here at LESC. And so Phil invited me to go speak. I went and spoke at that Bible club. The youth pastor from West Shore was there. And he asked if we could do breakfast afterwards. So we went to Burger King of all places afterwards. And, uh, and we sat down and he proceeds to tell me. He goes, last night I resigned as youth pastor of West Shore. And I'm just looking at him like, this is crazy. And he says, and his next question was, do you know anybody I can recommend for the role? And I'm saying there, no, I know, I know no one. No, no one. And, and so I, I went away from that breakfast just like, that is really strange. But then as the week went on, I couldn't let go of it. So finally, I made a deal with God. It's like, if this dream is of you, then I will know it if West Shore contacts me with me not having shared this dream with anybody. Because I, 
I'm locked in. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking for anything. I've not shopped my name. So a week goes by and I get a phone call. Well, actually the youth pastor from uh, Hershey, the lead youth pastor came into my office and said, hey, you're gonna get a phone call later from the senior pastor at West Shore. He wants to talk to you about their job. I'm looking at him like, are you crazy? So that phone call happens. We agree to talk. But now I have to go home and tell my wife because I had not told her about the dream. And so when I told her, I said, hey, the pastor of West Shore just called and they're looking for a new youth pastor. And she goes, well, who are we gonna recommend for him? Do you know anybody you can recommend? I said, well, actually, I'm agreeing to meet with him. She goes, what? Are you crazy? And I said, well, I said, well, let me tell you about this dream I had. So after telling her the dream, the first thing that came out of her mouth was, you should have told me this dream. So I had shocked my wife. I didn't allow, allow her to be a part of this journey of the heart and pray to the Lord. And so for the next month, after we met with that pastor, for the next month we prayed. And God eventually revealed the opportunity to go that we're supposed to pursue this job. But I will tell you right now, I would have never pursued that job if it wasn't for that dream. Because everything about the circumstances of our life said, we are to stay at Hershey. It was going to be a pay decrease. It was gonna cause us to lose everything financially in regards to our home, and that did indeed happen. Everything on paper said you should not make that move. But because God had just given me that little dream, I knew I needed to at least listen. And then it afforded my heart the opportunity to hear what God was doing, not what Tony would naturally think. So God used a dream in regards to something like that. It didn't reveal any new character of God. It didn't reveal any new moral truth to God. Those things are established by God's word. But God was helping me move where I wouldn't have otherwise moved. John Calvin, in response to the statement from Joel and in the book of Acts, made this statement saying, visions and dreams were ordinary ways by how God revealed himself to prophet to the prophets. But now, in regards to the church, now it is released more abundantly. So even those who might aspire to Calvin as being their primary theologian that they admire, many would struggle with this message about dreams and visions and prophecies still being a reality. But Calvin even acknowledged this is the order by which the spirit being poured out, it happens. But let me speak right now in this moment very clearly, a warning. Not all dreams come from God, and some of those dreams can actually then become stumbling blocks. Not all dreams come from God. We have heard from different preachers and podcasters visions and dreams and prophecies, and then when they speak about these crazy things that they have seen and they don't come to pass, somehow we still listen. It was brought to my attention, I had forgotten this, that it was a rule in the Old Testament that if a prophet said, I'm speaking on behalf of God, and then that prophecy did not come true, you were to stone them. So I'm being very careful here. <laughs> There's stones out that window there, and if, you, if I see anybody walk out there, I'm going out that door. The point is this. We have to be discerners as 1 Corinthians chapter one and chapter two says, that when it comes to things on this earth, we are to apply the spirit and to discern from the spirit in all matters. We are not to check our brains at the door. We're not to close the word of God so as somehow that a dream, a prophecy, or some kind of vision automatically stands with its own authority. That is not the case, and nor was it in the Old Testament, nor is it in the New Testament, but before the Spirit comes in the Gospels, nor is it afterwards. In fact, this is where I want us to go to Jude chapter, uh, Jude's only chapter, chapter one, verses three to eight, and I want us to see where dreams can lead us astray significantly, and it can wreak havoc in the church. So it's gonna describe, now the book of Jude is written as a warning to the future church. He's concerned for the purity of the church. And he says this 
to the church, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, the good stuff, I felt compelled to write and to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. So this contention is this, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you and they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Okay, so he's describing that Already in the church, they're starting to see this. And I would say, my goodness, can we not see it now? That there are people that are coming into the church that will take the grace of Jesus Christ and use it as a license to do whatever they want. And then specifically, it refers to immorality. And then it compares it down in verse seven that, that, that compares this idea of using grace as a license for immorality. He compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns that gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So Judah's concerned that there's this idea of people out there that's like, they just focus in on one attribute of God. God is love, God is love, God is love. And then fail to mention God is holy. God is holy and God is holy. And justice as a result, God's justice, his justice and his justice will be brought to fruition. And so when he says that there will be people that will be ungodly, they will take the grace of our God and then all of a sudden create a permission for all kinds of immorality, those same people will begin to deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord, basically challenging the idea that the exclusive path to God is through Jesus. They would say, well, no, that's a path, not the path. Jesus is the one that said with his own mouth, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So the exclusivity of Jesus is so core to our theology as a church, and yet there'll be people among us that will begin to lower the idea of holiness and suggest that by grace, there's permission to do anything, and then even begin to question whether Jesus really is the sole path. Now, you might be thinking right now, how in the world do people in the church buy into this? And where do they get their authority from that they have influence? Here we go, verse eight. In the same, very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. Dreams became their foundation. Dreams became the authority. Dreams became that which they were able to say, I'm justified because God gave me this dream. How many times have we heard people say, God said this to me or God told me that? And you're like, that's really funny because that doesn't line up with the word of God. That would actually be contrary to the word of God. And the things just said in verses three and four are contrary to the word of God. Yet they claim these great dreams and on the strength of their dreams, they are compelling and they get people to then lower their view of what, how they're to live their lives and their bodies and to reject overall authority and to heap abuse on celestial beings. Basically giving us three marks of a godless dreamer. Three marks of a godless dreamer is this little to no boundaries for their body. In other words, pretty much as long as you're monogamous, as long as you're with good intent, do whatever. So little to no boundaries for the body. Number two, they have no regard for established authority. Because people like this, as soon as you try to confront them with the authority of the word of God, they just kind of push off and just like, I'm just being obedient to what God showed me. And they just push away any kind of sense of accountability. 
That's why it's like when you hear of these prophecies, visions, and dreams that don't come true, for some reason they still have influence because people buy into their charisma or their significance of their statements and, and these great dreams are very fascinating, but they don't check it at the door. And then when they try to check it at the door, those people are very resistant to authority, both earthly and heavenly. And third, they have a careless approach to the spiritual realm. It says here, you know, it says that they, they, they heap abuse on celestial beings, but verses nine and 10, but even the archangel Michael, when he disputed with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. These people who are slandering whatever they do not understand and the very things they do understand by instinct as irrational animals do will destroy them. What I have found about people that have such a belittling view of the spiritual realm is that as they go through and they start like, okay, all things become permissible through grace. And then they go to the next step. It's like, well, Jesus is the primary way, but maybe not the only way. And then the next thing you'll start hearing from them Hell doesn't exist. Hell doesn't exist. There is no judgment because a loving God couldn't create a place like hell. But keep in mind what he says at the end of verse seven. He says, these people serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. I don't know how you disqualify that statement there, but it's very clear. There is a holy God that will hold into account the lives we live. Which I think then we need to ask, well, if those are the three marks of a godly dream, how do we know when somebody's prophesying, somebody's vision and somebody's dreams are worth listening to? Well, I'd say you can take the same marks here of the godless one and create a godly one. One whose body is under the submission to the holiness of God. Two, one who honors both heavenly and earthly authority, which is a big one. And three, one whose words and life are blessed by God. You can see that God has shown favor with them because the things they're doing, God clearly is in them and working through them. And the, the things they put their hands to, God has shown his favor. And you can see it. I think that there is a natural tendency right now for a lot of believers to all of a sudden start thinking individually and think of themselves as their own authority and respond to no authority within the church or from their society, which then ultimately becomes an affront to the heavenly authority. Why is it that one of the common traits of the evangelical movement is anti-authority? That should be the last thing said of us, that we're humble, contrite in spirit, and tremble at the word of God. That's the one God shows esteem for. That's Isaiah 66 too. So why is it our character trait that we're anti-authority? That should not be so. We should be above reproach on these things. And I tell you, even said in scripture, those who live according to the law and do so carefully, they do not have to fear punishment because they're living righteously. Jesus talks about responding to authority carefully. And we also see that in the book of Romans, that, that all authority is established by God and some for noble purposes, not some for judgment. And so we've got to be careful how we handle earthly authority and we do so in light of our heavenly authority. But here's where we need to walk away with this. Because when you look at what Joseph did in, in Genesis chapter 39, in one single verse, when confronting Potiphar's wife for what she wanted him to do, Joseph said this to her. He says, your husband has given me and entrusted me all things under, under my care. Everything that's his is under my care. Why would I wanna violate that? And... Why would I want to sin against God? So you see that, that, that Joseph fits the character traits of a godly dreamer because he honors both earthly and heavenly authority. And his body was under submission to the holiness of God. And as a result, his life was blessed. And you see it. God was willing to give him dreams and to help him interpret dreams because he was under account.
So here's the takeaways that I would say that we walk away with today. We are to hold all visions, all dreams, and all prophecies accountable to the word of God. There is no new revelation as to who God is and to his character or anything moral. Nothing is needed. The scripture is complete. So we hold all dreams and prophecies and visions to the word of God. Secondly, we seek interpretation when we know there's something about this dream that might cause us to need to have some understanding of it, that we would do so with people who are humble and committed to the word of God and have a spirit of respect towards authority. Be careful who you share your dreams with, that they are people under account. Which then leads me to something that I also need to feel like that we've got to be concerned for today is I think there's a propensity today with all the information at our fingertips, with all the podcasts that are out there, with all the TV preachers that are out there, much of which are spoken very well and biblically, but also some of which, which are not. You need to be able to discern what is truth through the word of God. Stay under authority here and don't make yourself accountable to somebody that cannot hold you accountable. Podcasters can be helpful, but they are not the one in authority over you to care for you. They can say a lot of things that are untruthful and, if, and there's really nothing that can hold push back on them. That's why in this church, we sit together and we encourage all of us to open the word of God because that puts me in account to it and, my, and, and in account to you. And that's how it should be. And so therefore be careful, be a discerner by the spirit to make sure you're not coming under the authority of somebody that isn't under account. And lastly, if God does reveal something to you that you are to act upon, be faithful, be obedient, trust. Joseph did, Joseph did, both Josephs. And then you see that the apostles in the book of Acts were obedient and under account, even as God did some amazing things around them. Let's pray. So Lord, I don't know what visions or dreams or prophecies have been heard by people here or received by people here. But I pray that we won't check our brains at the door, that we won't check the spirit away from us, but rather we would seek you, the Holy Spirit, through the word of God to know what is true and what we're to do. Let us not be fooled. Let us hold to a true grace and to the true way that is found in Jesus alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us in this prayer song? start that again. Sorry about that.
I give you my trust, Jesus. And you are my God, and you are enough, So some of you may be aware of how God is using visions and dreams 
to reach those who are in the Hindu realm, the Buddhist realm, and the Muslim realm. What's fascinating and, and amazing is that they all speak to a very similar vision and dream, that this man in white comes to them and speaks and invites them to come. They don't know who it is other than they can identify that he's the son of God and they can get that far, but they don't know his name. And the, the vision and the dream becomes so profound to them that they begin to search to find out what is the name of the son of God. And they discover Jesus. Churches have been exploding in the Buddhist areas of the world, in the Muslim areas of the world, in the Hindu areas of the world. And they are often started by this vision that causes them to search. Who is this one that is the son of God? We need to know his name. That is the beauty of how God is using his dream. And then they find and discover that there's this Bible that's in their languages, which is why as a church, we're committed to that region of the world where we're, where we're wanting to see the word of God translated. We're wanting to see people uh, get there that can share who the man in white is. That's how God is moving there. And I know that might make some of you uncomfortable, but I would say you need to lean into it and pray that God continues that dream because people are coming to Jesus. They need the further word of scripture to reveal his name and understand what he came for, but they are getting the dream to send them on a journey. Just like Joseph had no idea when he went to Egypt when he was gonna be able to return. God reveals it in steps. Those brothers of Joseph had no idea how this will come to fruition, but remember Jacob says he pondered that matter in his heart, even though he didn't like the dream. He had learned enough about God that something is happening here. So let our hearts be open to what God may be doing around us, but let us not check at the door our responsibility for going to the word of God and seeking the Holy Spirit for discernment. We must be people that use wisdom and the presence of God in our lives to discern that which is from him. If you'd like to talk to someone in prayer, we'll have people in the encounter room to be glad to talk with you, pray with you. I'll also be up front. But go knowing that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all people so that he can do a work that will transform lives until he returns. Amen.